School didn't teach us how to be good at love. So I created the Stubborn Love Podcast to help you navigate it. With my expertise in the marriage therapy biz, I'll share insights on topics like sex, money, and rock and roll. Um, I mean, navigating conflict and more. No matter what stage of relationship you're in right now, this podcast is for you. Every episode has actionable tips that will help you create a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life with the people you love. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and join me on this journey of love and learning for the stuff they didn't teach you in relationship school. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Stubborn Love. I am so psyched for this episode today (laughs) because we have Dr. Christy Overstreet. And um, not a lot of people know this, but I have been like a fangirl of her for quite a while. And so I just feel, you know, like the coolest person ever to be able to have her on the show today. Um, So she's a clinical sexologist, a psychotherapist, uh, the host of her own podcast, Fix Yourself First. And she's got a freaking book. Like she's just going wild with bunches of things, bunches of projects. And really um, what she specializes in is helping women get emotional and physical intimacy without sacrificing their needs. Doesn't that sound great? Um, so, uh, we will actually be focusing on the more intimacy, uh, part of her work today, as we want to talk about how to restore bedrooms that have just, uh, lost the spark. So I'm super excited to dive into this topic, but before we go there, um, Dr. Christy Overstreet, can you introduce yourself to the audience and kind of let them know your journey into where you got today? Yeah, Paige, thanks so much for having me. I'm just as excited to be here with you and folks to talk about all things intimacy and sex. And just a little bit about my story. The quick version is my plan was never to be a sex therapist, especially where I grew up in South Georgia, very rural, very conservative. We still don't say sex in that town and you definitely ain't having it, right? Which we know everyone is. But coming from this very conservative background, my plan was to go into medicine. So I went through school, was doing all the things, checking all the boxes, how I was supposed to, and then went away to medical school. And after my first year, just faced the biggest amount of failure. It wasn't going how I planned. I wasn't succeeding the way I needed to do and really hit rock bottom. And I had to go through my own acceptance of failure and have this full reset. And there was many meltdowns to the process, but thank goodness I had to support a family that says, we love you and care about you. Get home, reset. And with doing that, I started a job with the state and working with Child Protective Services and met a therapist for the first time. And I'd never known therapy even existed. We just didn't have it anywhere around where I grew up, didn't know it was a thing. And something in me just clicked. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I jumped all in, worked three jobs, went to grad school, became a therapist, and very quickly realized in my first job in a dual diagnosis rehab center that people struggle to talk about sex, including myself, even though I was real comfortable with sex with friends, but with clients and in group settings, it was difficult. And through that work, I realized that I've got to get more training, that along with working with the LGBTQIA+ community realizing the things they were going through that so many people that were not in the community were going through. Went into private practice, honed in my skills and said, I've got to get the specialty. So jumped into a doctor program, 
for sex therapy in Florida at the time being one of the only states that required you to be to a certification. So fast forward, learned all that I can that I still learn every day about sex and uh, having those conversations, helping people find intimacy and definitely regardless of where you're at, honing in about what your needs are. And here I am again, 16 plus years later, you would, I still find it really hard to believe Paige that I'm a sex therapist. Like I still don't even tell, like in my hometown, when I go visit, I was uh, recently at a funeral and I had someone come up and said, Oh, Christy, I love your book. Or I read that article. or I can't believe I saw it on Facebook. And I'm like, wait a minute, you were a teacher of mine in high school. And my cheeks just go red because it shows how common let's say shame, but maybe the embarrassment around sex still comes up for me. And this is what I do all day. So why would we think that it's, you know, not coming up for most other people too? Mm -hmm. I love that you share that, like, there's kind of this natural reaction that you have of like this innate, um, like kind of knee jerk. Oh, oh, sex. me, (laughs) And I'm, I'm like, I'm talking about it and you're listening to me. And like, but you know, we had this dynamic of like, you were my teacher growing up, like, how can you look to me for this type of, so I I love that you're sharing um, that piece of it. And and something that stuck out to me as you were talking is that you say that you still learn about sex every day too, even as a sex therapist. And I think that's really um, eye-opening because I guess like that kind of just proves the point. You can't learn it all. Like you just don't know. Like there's always going to be something new, right? Absolutely. And the neat thing about it, I say neat thing about it is, yeah, you know, there's positions, there's pleasure, there's things and all that. But what I learn the most every day is connected directly to our biggest sex organ, which is our mind and our brain. It's the thoughts, it's the feelings, the emotion, it's the things that come up when we think about sex, when we look at the expectation, when our partner initiates and we're like, yeah, I'm not in the mood. What does that say about me? Or yeah, that's where we have to put more energy into what's going on between our ears as it relates to sex, sex expectations and intimacy. And that's where we will never learn it all. Thank goodness. That's what keeps it fresh and exciting. Right. Our brain is just always changing and so malleable. So, um, I didn't um, realize how important the brain was when it comes to sex. So you're saying like when it's not really about like the physical um, mechanics of it, you you know, sure, that does help, you know, with um, people who have female genitalia, lubrication, that can be helpful for sex and that can maybe make it work, quote, easier. Um, But you're saying that the mind is the biggest like driving force behind having better sex or more connected sex? Yeah, it is because that's where our, and I say it's where it's not like it's a pinpointed space, but that's where our thoughts are related. And our thoughts a lot of times is our, our own narrative of what we tell ourselves about ourselves, as well as what narrative we've developed from other stories about us. And that's why our sexual template that starts very young, we start getting fed these messages about what's okay and not okay. For an example, growing up where I was, you definitely didn't have sex before marriage. You you saved yourself. If you had sex, it was a sin. You're going to hell. And you can only have sex with someone who is opposite of you. You can't have same-sex relationships because that is horrible and damning you to hell as well. And so there's all these, me- and that's just a snapshot of messages that we received that you're not supposed to touch yourself. That's nasty. It's dirty. There's this 
explicit thing that if you if you talk about it, what's wrong with you, or if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant, and then you're going to be that girl. And good girls don't do that. So all of us, regardless of where we're located in the world, we receive these messages about what's okay and not okay about relationships and sex and our bodies. And growing up, we don't think about it cognitively. We just ingest it in and we believe it, right? And then it becomes our sexual template. And that's why it's so important as we become more aware, as we want to work on ourselves, that we start rewriting those parts of our template that are no longer serving us or maybe never serving us, but we didn't know until now. Right, right. And so I guess I kind of have two questions out of that. How do we know these messages aren't serving us anymore? Like what's the kind of like big sign for someone to know that that sexual template that we've grown up with or that we now have is not working for us anymore? Well, a lot of times you'll say, okay, what is it about me that's not working? What am I saying? I'm not comfortable with sex or I'm not supposed to do this or I'm having a feeling of shame, embarrassment, or not worthy or not good enough. So we have to look at what feelings we're having around our body, sex, and even our relationships, who we like, who we like, who we love, and who we want to have sex with. And if we're noticing that that thought is not working for us, that it's producing more shame, more devaluation, more feeling of not good about us, we can say, wait a minute, what is that thought? And then when we examine that thought, we can say, wait a minute, is this my thought or did it come from somewhere else? Oh, dang. Yep. It came from what I was told growing up, what so-and-so told me, that really negative experience, that trauma experience that I went through, whatever it was, you can trace back and say, it's not as important to know exactly where it came from, but have an idea and say, okay, I need to rewrite this. I want to rewrite this because it's not serving me anymore. If it's causing a problem, it's probably not serving you. So what you do is just jump in there and examine a little bit and decide if you want to change it up or not, because you have 100% power to do that. Yeah. Have you ever worked with clients who are maybe resistant uh, to changing the template or they know that it's maybe hurtful or harmful to their sexual um, being in some way, but still like stuck and being able to change it and or not wanting to change it because of some sort of reason? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times it's not because they're, they're not conscious that, wait a minute, this isn't as much serve me. It's just, this is how it is. And they're so rooted in that because it's happened for so long. And the way I approach it is, well, of course, it's how you feel. Of course, you don't want to change it. Or of course, you're not sure if you want to change it. You know what? That's okay. The part of my approach is always meeting them where they're at. And if they're at that place stuck, I'm going to settle right next to them and say, all right, let's stay set together. When you're tired of being stuck or if it's bothering you enough, then we can work on it when you're ready. Oh, okay, this is coming up for you. What well, do you think you may be a little bit ready? Or what would it feel like? How do you know when you're ready to move through this a little bit? So really empowering the person to say, yeah, I'm there. because Just because me as the person guiding them or helping them through this, if, it doesn't matter if I'm ready for them or not or if I think they're ready. If they're not showing up at that place to be ready to take just one small step, it's not the time. So letting them know, hey, yeah, I'm ready to do just a little bit. How can I dip my toes into this? And then we find a plan for that. Mm, That warms my heart, hearing how supportive your approach is for clients, because this is a very touchy topic for a lot of people where there there can be a lot of embarrassment or shame. And I love how you're, you're not like trying to speed up the process or trying to force them into something, you know, faster than they're ready for. That sounds so helpful for them. 
Um, one thing that came up for me is, um, so you talked about, you know, we have to examine, are these messages helpful or not? And then we have to rewrite this sexual template. But where do we even, like, what is the process to rewriting that template? Yeah, it's it's an undertaking, meaning it's not something like, okay, let me just rewrite it. It's a process, which means it's going to take a little bit of time, which automatically means we're going to have to give ourselves grace through going with it and not have an unrealistic expectation of, I'm going to heal myself by rewriting the template. Like healing is an ongoing process. Um, so with that being said, you start by saying like, what were the messages giving to me as a young child? Was sex talked about? How did I see physical interaction? What type of relationships were acceptable in my family and in my family system? And which ones were taught really negatively about? Who was shamed in my family if they were? And then as a young teen or as a teenager, what messages did I receive around me? What stuff did I see depending on when you existed online, social media, what was talked about? All that when I was growing up was not a thing. So it's more of like what was talked around me with school? What was friends groups saying about sex? What was okay and not okay? What was the church youth group stance on it? And we examine our, our little teenage self. We can say, oh, I remember that happened. And oh, okay, I remember that was said. Okay. And so writing them down is key. And so you write those thoughts down or those messages and you move on to young adulthood and wherever you're at now and just your experiences, who you're around, what things are really powerful about sex, intimacy and relationships. And I also want to highlight what kind of relationships were okay or not okay, because there may be talked about whether there was um, lesbian relationships, gay relationships, multiple relationships, cheating, infidelity, however you see it to be. How was it viewed? And again, we're not supposed to understand this at different developmental spaces. We're just taking information until right now. Right now, when we say, I want to think about this template a little bit. So you have to write these just thoughts out. There's no exact, it has to be a specific way, but you got to dump them out to get out of your head, which is super important. Then when you have this kind of list of things wrote down, then you can go back and review them and say, gosh, you know, they, I remember them saying so many negative things about, Uncle Larry, because he wasn't married, he would disappear at times. And um, he, it was rumored that he was gay. And I remember it was really negative talked about him and, and it was a shame to the family. So did you, and then you say, wait a minute, well, I don't feel that way. I love Uncle Larry. That's it. Why would they care as an adult looking at that? Or maybe even as a kid, that is you actively rewriting that sexual template as your whole sexuality as a whole sexual self. So it's important to examine these pivotal parts of your life, not just examine them, but you got to write them out so that you get outside of yourself and then just kind of go back and look at them. And the rewriting of the template continues as we learn more information about ourselves and have more experiences. Mm-hmm. What a process. Uh, so you first dump the thoughts out, you get it out of your brain, and then you kind of just go into this process of asking why, like I hear a big question is like, why were these people treated differently around me? What was happening? And then like tuning into yourself and recognizing how your actual thoughts and feelings were rather than taking in and absorbing the people around you's messages. Very cool. Yeah, that, that's a big part of it. You know, the other part of it as we examine this is when you look at that list of things you dumped out, you, you also want to look and say, what of these were expectations of me, especially when it comes to sexual experiences? 
Was there something we wrote down that you had a partner who just, you know, their whole focus when y'all were dating was them reaching orgasm or them completing? It wasn't a lot of time for you. They really didn't care about you or it ended really abruptly. And they said, well, what's wrong with you that it ended abruptly or you couldn't make me last or whatever. Those are those thoughts that come into us and develop these expectations, which turn into sex expectations of ourselves. So then we can say, wait a minute having sex with that person at 18 years old and not having pleasure, it wasn't even about my pleasure because I didn't even know about pleasure. I was just trying to have sex because it was enjoyable because they liked me. And that's a big part, especially about wherever you're at with your journey is you start examining like what led me to do that? If it was, you know, if it was consensual, maybe I did that because I wanted an emotional connection and I wanted a partner or a boyfriend at the time and they wanted to have sex. Therefore, I wanted to have sex. And it wasn't really about pleasure or connection. It was just about sex. And I wanted emotional intimacy. And it was just physical intimacy. And a lot of times that will happen in early sexual experiences and continue on to later in life where you're feeling very neglected in that emotional space. And that is one of the big reasons that lead to dead bedrooms. Mm, wow. What a what a picture you just painted about like really how spiraling into these original sexual templates can impact your current relationships of, you know, what sounds like all this anxiety or shame or whatever it may be just kind of getting in the way and blocking you being able to enjoy the experience of sex, whatever that looks like. Wow. Um, so let's kind of like, play a a little imagination here. So let's say I'm a client. I come to your office and I say, I don't want to have sex with my partner anymore. Um, You know, we had two kids. um, That was great. And it's been, you know, really focused on kids for the past couple of years. And it's kind of awkward. I don't know how to even think about physical affection with my partner anymore. What's like the first (laughs) line of defense uh, that happens when they come see you? Well, what I say is, do you want to work on the physical intimacy with your partner? Like, it's okay if you don't. I just want to ask. Like, if it's just you and I in here, partner's not here. If this obviously is between us, do you want that to improve, change, be different? And given that permission to say, yeah, you know what? Uh, It'd be nice, but I can, you know, take it or leave it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, okay, cool. I'm going to ask next, do you self-pleasure? Do you masturbate? Do you ever touch yourself or find, you know, physical space and, or physical pleasure in that way? And depending on what they say, they say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I do enjoy that. It's more enjoyable than actually having sex because I know I don't have to worry about taking care of somebody else and all the reasons why masturbation sometimes is easier depending on the relationship. So, Yeah. So I just want to make sure that person has permission to say that they don't want to work on it at all. Let's say they do. Let's say they say, yeah, you know what? I really want to get back. Kids are growing up. I really am coming into my own. I want to enjoy sex. So what I would say is, okay, are you masturbating? Actually, no. All right, let's start there to find out what you like, what feelings come up. Because it's okay if you're feeling a little ashamed or embarrassed, that's normal. And so then start having that conversation. And I want to be really clear to your audience. I'm not saying that you have to find, enjoy, perfect for yourself masturbation to enjoy good sex. You don't. I'm just saying we go through this process of examining what our thoughts and beliefs are about self-touch and pleasure. Because, yes, 
it's important for us to know what touch, how we like and how we don't like it so we can share that with our partner. But it's also really good for us to know for our own selves with our own autonomy of our body. Mm -hmm. I think that's so like paramount to kind of just start with yourself because (laughs) yourself is you. You have a lot of control over you, your thoughts, how you please yourself. And so like that's the, uh, I guess, kind of like the an easy segue to be able to like enter into thinking about like expanding your reach outside of just yourself. So let's say, you know, um, I, I, I say to you, yeah, I, I maybe masturbate sometimes and um, it's fine, but I don't really, you know, know how to actually get myself there. I don't know how to climax even with myself, you know, there's there's something getting in the way. So how do you even like start there if an individual is struggling to be able to seek pleasure for themselves? Sure. Well, I would start by saying, are there any medical issues? Um, What types of medications are you on? And being real clear that I'm not a medical doctor that can talk about medications, but I'm just curious, are you on antihistamines or what, you know, depression or anxiety meds are? Because some do have side effects. Um, and, and if that's ringing true for anyone, please talk with your doctor and consult with them about that. And then I'll say, you know, if you're having trouble, have you reached climax or have you orgasm? Have you experienced pleasure before by yourself? And I want to know the history. Yes, you know, when I was younger or actually no, I have it. And then talk about, well, what turned you on? Let's just go there next. What turned you on? And they may say, well, I don't know. And so then we say, okay, what about just reading? Reading, you know, erotica is a really big term, especially for individuals. Uh, is Does that turn you on as you're reading? Does watching something, does listening to something, does fantasizing and having, replaying a past experience or something that feels good for you, what turns you on? Are you, you know, focusing on clitoral stimulation? Because we know majority of folks are able to achieve orgasm through clitoral or a combo effect. So asking that question and then having them answer, what are your turnoffs? Well, they were so low or part like, what turns you off? Well, you know what? I try to masturbate. I have some time for some self-pleasure, but um, the kids came in the house and I heard the kids downstairs and that disrupted my thought or I've got one of the most common reasons is I have a thousand things in my mind. I can't quiet my mind. And if we can't find a space in our mind, um, you notice I'm saying space and not quiet because our minds just can't go quiet. It's going to be really hard to connect with our bodies. And that's one of the biggest problems that majority of people, especially women struggle with is being present in their bodies and turning their mind down enough to connect. Mm. So you're saying a lot of experience for women is we can't get out of our own head. Yes. And that's preventing us from pleasure. Yes. Okay. So how do we get into our bodies and out of our minds then? Yeah. Well, what you can start with is starting with being intentional. Meaning, you know what I am, whether it's ple- whether you're looking at solo masturbation, whether you're looking with a partner or partners, just saying, you know what, in this experience I'm about to have, I'm going to be as intentional as possible. I know it sounds funny and like, wait a minute though, you mean you're talking, yeah, like you have to start ahead of time, just like foreplay. We have to start way ahead of time. We start foreplay before we get into the bedroom or wherever you're having sex. So to get into your mind, just say, you know, I'm going to be intentional. I'm setting my space up the best I can. I'm locking the doors. I know so-and-so is going to be out of the house, or I know um, that some, someone's taken care of, so I can be here with my partner or partners. And then focus on your body, giving yourself permission. I know this sounds wild, but 
for me, I just want to say, no, I'm giving myself permission to enjoy this period of time or enjoy this time that we're about to have sex so that I'm, I'm moving everything away that I'm like, I'm just going to permission to relax my body. So in that space of relaxing, you can do the five senses body scan. Wait a minute right now. The mono, what am I hearing? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting to bring yourself back to your body? And then if the thoughts are pervasive, you can just start treating the thoughts that are going through your mind, just like clouds passing by. Well, it's just passing by whatever's passing in my head. I just keep letting it pass. There's not anything going to pop in my brain that I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't write this down, I'm never going to remember it again because it will come back again. Just let it roll and allow yourself to just sink into your body and into the space. It takes a little bit of practice and no one has an expectation that they're going to do that 10 out of 10 times because that's just not how we work. So we have to tell ourselves in our mind, we have to just think of turning the volume down to maybe a one or two where maybe it started at a 10 versus all the way off. That just doesn't happen. So when you're realistic with yourself, you can give yourself permission a little bit easier and quicker. Mm, I like as you were talking, I was like, what's so important about giving permission? And you explained it so beautifully of like what it really provides you um, being able to give you really that space to tune in to yourself. So, okay. We're in the bedroom or I'm in the bedroom as a solo person, um, did the five senses. I'm kind of tuned into, all right, I can let that thought go. I can let that thought go just like a passing cloud. What's the next step to start exploring? Well, what you want to do is start literally exploring your body. If depending on your level of comfort, start in a space that's not one of your erogenous zones. Maybe it's touching your thighs a little bit or touching around your chest or wherever might feel a little bit good for you. And that's where the experimentation takes place. Also, you can use props other than your hand or fingers, whether it's a toy, whether it's a feather, whether it's something that's got some prickly ends, like a scarf, like a clothespin, like whatever you can get your hands on to be an extension of your hand, but not be your literal hand is really important. And you don't have to go buy anything, just use something nearby. It will give a different sensation than obviously your fingers or hand, just to start lightly grazing your body in different places that may not be erogenous for you, that may just help relax you or give you a little bit of a turn on. And when you're ready, or if you're ready, you can move to more of those erogenous areas of your body. And that can be done with a toy or a prop or whatever you would like to do to just start seeing what might feel good. Or of course, your fingers or your hands. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm kind of imagining someone who might have experienced a lot of shame about self-pleasure or trying to have sex. And so you're kind of going through this exploration and you finally get to an erogenous zone and then I can imagine someone getting like a flood of shameful thoughts or embarrassing thoughts. Like what, what's the step there when that comes in? Well, that's where two things can happen. Number one, call in your, 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 your brain as far as like, wait a minute, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay that I'm doing this. I have control over my body. I get to decide I'm by myself. This is pleasurable. I wanted to give it a try again, back to that permission. The second part is, um, you know, go into a store in your head. Do you have some, some other type of audio thought or visual clue to help you kind of go back to your body? Maybe it's listening to something. Maybe it's watching something. Maybe it's telling yourself a story or erotica in your head or a fantasy in your head. 
that can help pull you out and get you back into the moment. Oh, wow. Those are some really quick tips to be able to like get you back in. I love those. Um, Okay, so we're kind of doing this process of exploring erogenous zones. And what what are kind of like the next steps that you usually hear from clients? Like after they start that process, what's most common after they finally get to exploring the erogenous zones? They're either con- able to continue and reach some type of climax or endpoint for them, or they're able to say, you know what, uh, that felt good. I'm just going to stop there. I feel a little bit braver in doing it. And they'll try a little bit more or further the next time. Um, I encourage people to look at it as just blowing off steam. When you blow off steam, there's not like an end point, right? You're like, okay, I feel a little bit better. So I want you to look at it that way than trying to reach some pinnacle summit, top of the mountain orgasm or completion or finish. Because if you do that, you're putting like this goal on the end and you're putting more pressure and the expectations come even higher and that can lock your brain up even more. So again, think of this as a journey. You're going to have a lot of different opportunities in your life to practice um, touch and masturbation. So look at this. Okay, I gave you a trial. I'll do it again sometime soon or I'll try it again soon. If you feel like you don't want to go further, you can stop at any time. It's super important that we remember the power we have over our own bodies and that we control it now. And I know those people who have gone through especially sexual trauma in the past or in any type of abuse, the feeling of ownership of your body and body autonomy is taking away from you. So I know it's really hard and difficult. So you're going to go through your own ups and downs around that. But this is a great way to start re-embracing yourself or maybe for the first time. Yeah. I love how you describe it more of as a journey rather than like this end point. Because when you, you make it sound like the an end point, if the goal is orgasm or climax, then one, that's really hard to meet every time yes. because you may not be in the ideal conditions every single time. You may not have like this intentionality every time you're trying to self-pleasure or pleasure with partner or partners. So I, I like how you kind of like just shift that mindset of this is just an experience. Let's see what I can enjoy out of it. So cool. Um, now, so um, you kind of talked about how you're exploring erogenous zones with yourself. Is that kind of the same process that when we have partners involved or like what does it look like if we're trying to um, reintegrate any type of, you know, sexual touch. Um, actually, I think maybe I need to even start uh, somewhere else because if, let's say you're working with a couple and, you know, maybe they kiss sometimes um, and hugging can still feel a little bit awkward, but really there's nothing past those physical things. Where do you recommend a couple like them start in terms of trying to reignite that spark to eventually have sex as that, you know, goal for them? Sure. And with saying this, we know every couple is different. Every experience is different. Every dynamic is totally different. But what I would say is I just want to make sure both of you do want to work on the physical intimacy outside of touching and kissing. Is everybody, is that something? And if you don't, that's okay too. And really give that permission to say, you know what? Yeah, I could take it or leave it, but yeah, I want to please my partner. So, okay, I'll give it a go. So get both people's buy-ins really to make sure we can continue on. And if they're like, yeah, we do want to work on this. After making sure of that and and really saying, okay, what's been holding y'all back, each individual? 
what's kind of been getting in the way for you? And they may say, I don't know. I just, you know, and I'm saying, okay, well, let's talk about something. Tell me, are there any, you know, stress going on? Are there any difficulties with finance that almost everybody deals with? Is there conflict with parenting or if you got a sickness in the family, like what's going on from the stress levels for y'all and what's going on for the medical levels for y'all, meaning medications, diagnosis, mental health diagnosis, like checking on all that. So then we say, okay, these factors definitely play into it. So it's not that either of you are flawed. These things play into it. Doesn't mean you can't move forward, but I also want to set that so that they both know that it's not the other person's fault or their other person's responsibility. It's both shared as a group. So when that happens, it's, it's super important. So if they're like, yes, we want to work on this, we want to do this, then I want to look at the history. How long has it been since y'all had sex? What was it like when you first got together? How has it changed? Because it does for everybody. And just get a little bit of history to find out if there's any events that happen along that point. Was there infidelity, cheating, emotional cheating? Like clearing out all that and seeing where that adds into it. But if we get down to the nuts and bolts and they're like, all right, we want to do this more. Okay, cool. So then we want to say, if you had an ideal time to have sex, when would it be? So you have one partner like, oh, I got to have any sex anytime. Okay, good for you. What about other partner or partners? Well, you know what? I am so, I'm so exhausted at night. Like, it has just not happened. I'm lucky to land in the bed in one piece and go to bed. All right, so that partner for this period we're talking about, having sex at night might be off the table for right now. Not forever, but for right now. And they say, you know what? I have a little bit more energy in the morning before I get in the shower to get ready for work. I want to make sure you know, I'm not clean and then have sex, like whatever it might be for them. So, okay. So maybe you're a morning person again, not forever, just this period we're talking about. So how, cause sometimes, sometimes it's more common than not that couples are opposite. You have one couple like, no, I want sex at the end of the day to blow off steam so I can fall asleep. And the other partner's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even want to see you at the end of the day. So I'm like, yeah, probably no one's having sex. Right. Like that just not happen. So we have to first evaluate when ideal times. Again, for listeners are like, but wait a minute. Um, that means we have to plan it out and schedule. It's not as much scheduling and planning out as it is intention. I'm not saying you can't like the idea of scheduling, having an idea of in sex. It's called intentional. And anything we want, we got to put effort into it. And if this is what you want to work on, we want to bring this. Okay, you both are putting effort. So we look at the time. The other thing we do is start creating an agreement or this pact as a couple. What it looks like is, you know what, if one or the other initiates sex and the other partner's like, yeah, I'm not in the mood, or I'm just not feeling it right now, we're not going to take it personal. We're not going to take it as if this is some big um, jab you're making at me. We remove the emotion because, as you know, sex can be very emotional. There's a lot of emotions tied to it because there's a lot of thoughts tied to it. So the thoughts are what produces the feelings around and the behavior. So we have that pact, so that removes some pressure. And then we say, okay, since we're putting this pact together, we're also going to say we got some possible options. So then we look at building a buffet, a sexual buffet. Yes. Yes. Tell us more. Yes, 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 yes. I love a sexual buffet. And a buffet just in my house might mean more than two options, right? Like, oh, you can have this or you can have this. That's a buffet. Or it may be this and 20 options. So there's no judgment on how big or small your buffet is. Size does not matter. What what a buffet option is, is saying, hey, I'm going to switch something out. Or I might like a little of this today, but then next week you may try this again. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not in the mood for that. Let's grab something else. 
just like when we go to a buffet, we may get a little of this, go back to a little of that, or we may not touch anything. And then next month, we might go to the same buffet and try that new dish. So having a sexual buffet gives us options of all types of sexual play to choose from. How we integrate that is when it's like, in my little, like one partner saying, hey, like I'm really in the mood. And the other person's like, you know what, I'm not, maybe I don't want to have, um, penetrative sex right now, but you know what? I can, I'm down for oral sex. I can give you a blowjob. Will that work? Actually, yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, let's do it. Or, you know what? I'm in mood for this, but not that. You take and go and leave what you want without tying up emotion in that. I love that. And from what it sounds like, if you have this sexual buffet to choose from, you're more inclined to be able to just like really like kind of go for it, go for what your actual need in that moment is rather than kind of like, well, this is how we've always done it. This is what I'm supposed to do. You're actually like looking inward and and getting to a burning desire and you have that freedom with a sexual buffet. How freaking cool. Yeah. And it's important to continue to add to that without pressure because it, it, obviously one partner's like, oh, I want to try this. And the other partner's like, yeah, that is not on the buffet. We're not putting that on the buffet. Don't ever bring that up again. And that's okay too. So we have to have grace with one another and what options are. And it's not like you have to write all this down. It needs to be some freedom around um, creativity with this. You know, masturbation can be on the buffet. Mutual masturbation can be on the buffet. Just having, you know, foreplay, like, and there's so many options to be on that buffet. The key to this is, because it all sounds like, okay, great, let's all get buffets. The key is we want to keep some equality within the relationship. And what I mean by equality is one of the biggest issues that people come in with is this desire difference, right? One person's wanting more sex than the others. That's totally understandable, totally normal. We're not the same person. Like we're not the same two people or three or four, however many in the relationship dynamic. So we're going to be different. We really have to expect that. It doesn't have to mean complete boredom though. It can mean, you know what? Maybe this is where I'm at. Maybe this is where you're at. I'm going to meet you with where you're at. And you've got some equality around needs, equality and initiation, not exact equality 24 seven, but some type of equality and balance because the different factors affect that. The other thing with the balance is that the balance has got to start way before the bedroom. And that means sure equality, meaning there is equal emotional burden sharing. There's equal chore sharing. There's equality in that household. This does not mean everyone has to match each other 24 seven, but it's the flow. Some days someone's given 70, the other's 30. The next day or next couple of days, the other's given 80, the other's given 20. It's the flow of the balance versus consistently more days than not, one person's given 80, the other's given 20. If you've got one person carrying all the tasks of the home, I have one client that um, the frustration is that she's doing all the work around the house. She's doing all the pickup and all the things, and the partner is just really taking advantage of that and finding her voice to speak up. And of course, she's pushing away sexually because she's not really into him at all right now because of that. So, you know, it's the equality outside the bedroom is so super important. And, it, and we neglect that a lot of times. So that's where the conversation, and it's for a bigger conversation, we can't cover it all today, but just talking about, hey, I need some help. Oh, sure, I know exactly the way to load the dishwasher and I do it and my partner doesn't know how to load the dishwasher. However, if I'm going to be resentful because they're not helping, 
and he comes around and says, you want me to load the dishwasher? Absolutely. Thank you. You're wonderful. And you move on. We have to look at our own control issues around chore equality too, because that's a big issue. And that shows up in our bedroom. Ah. Uh. I am like floored right now, like with you bringing up all of this, because I didn't realize how much of an impact of feeling this unequal load of carrying the weight of chores or or what have you outside of the bedroom can really impact like our desire of wanting to be intimate or not. And then on the like, I love that you also talked about like that control issue, too, because I know um, a lot of us, we like things done a certain way and we yes. have these expectations and although it may not be a sex expectation it kind of feeds into it yes. almost of like it must be done this way so I love that you kind of do like some helping your clients have that internal dialogue with yourself of does it really need to be done this specific way or does it just need to be done and can then you just enjoy like your your time together with with your partner being able to help with that task I love that Man, um, when when you kind of tell clients uh, uh, talking about the making sure that things are equal, like what are their reactions? Are they kind of like surprised also or like how do they take this? Uh, depends on the relationship. There's a lot of partners that are like, yes, absolutely. I need help. I've been trying to tell them. And then you have the other partners like, but I help out. I do things. I, you know, I, I do the yard. Okay, we need a little bit more than the yard. The yard's valid, but we need some help in other areas too, especially when it comes to that emotional load. If you and, and yes, it's helping one another out, but it all starts with the individual in that couple. So again, back to the control, you can't get resentful and blaming and frustrated if you're not vocalizing in an assertive way what your needs are. Your partner cannot read your mind. And we... And, just because we got brains, we get really unrealistic in those expectations and we test partners and we to see if they're going to rise at the occasion. That's so unfair. And it really leaves us in a space of not getting our needs met anyway. So it's almost like, you know, you're tripping yourself up unless you say, what is my personal responsibility and am I vocalizing that? Yeah. Okay. So it's really important to look and see if we're kind of just self-sabotaging the whole situation by <laughs> trying to expect our partner to read our mind while not voicing our needs clearly at, or at all. Wow. Yes. Oh, man. Or, or even one other thing around that too is we may have told them, hey, this is what I need. For some individuals at certain parts of their life, they have to hear more than once. This happens all the time. Like I, I can tell Rob, hey, I need this. And be like, wait, Oh, wait, did you say, oh yeah, you were in the other, like, how would you know? Because I didn't look at you and say, Hey, I need this is important. So we also can't be like, well, I told them and they didn't do it. Therefore I got a reason to be mad. That's self-sabotage because you're not setting them up for success. You're setting them up for failure, which means you're going to fail. Wow. This is also impactful. I'm loving all of these things that we're getting into today. Um, are there so we kind of talked about sharing the burden of uh, making sure things are equal outside of the bedroom. Is there any other like big area that you look at to be able to help couples kind of restore those dead bedrooms? Well, a big one is to look at those expectations of self, right? And and fear of upsetting their partner. So that's a big one. If I speak up about, I don't really like this, or it's a turnoff, then it's going to be conflict. They're going to be mad. I'm going to hurt their feelings. I care about them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. They're going to take it as if I, they're not good enough. So I'm not saying none of that's not possibly true for that scenario, 
But the problem is, it's this idea that if you don't let them know in some kind of way, if you don't have a conversation about it, you're going to be unsatisfied. Therefore, you're going to push away. And they're not going to get their your partner who you're worried about conflict with. They're not enjoying the quality of you know being with you in the first place. So it's, it's looking, saying, you know what, the focus happened for a lot of individuals. Some get this, some don't get this. Is they think if I just show up and have sex three days a week, my partner's happy. When actually their partner would rather have them have less sex and it be quality sex versus this quantity number of sex is one of the most common questions I get asked is how normal, like how frequent should we be having sex? I'm like, well, how much do you want to have sex? Well, I want to have it five days a week. Okay, are you ready for your partner to not really be into it? Yeah, they can lay there five days a week. Is that good for you? No, I want them to be into it. I'm like, well, they're not you. Okay, so we be we have to be realistic, and they say, "What if it was less and it was quality enjoyable for both of you?" Oh, yes, I would take that. So then, saying, "What is quality sex?" Well, it means some a little bit of enthusiasm. It means someone's moving and not just lying there, or someone actually. It would be quality if my partner initiated, and I didn't have to. Those little, and I say little, meaning simple things to recognize, oftentimes get buried. And if you just kind of grab onto those, you will see a better connection because focusing on quality enjoyment for both of you will outweigh quantity and number any day. Mm. Mm. Mic drop. So focus on the quality. Make sure it's good for both of you. And the way to do that is to be clear and voice your needs. Yes. What a concept. You know, <laughs> it's like I hear a lot of similarities like with how you approach sex and trying to help people get the kind of sex lives they want is really the approach that you take with like other conflicts that come up. You voice your needs, you communicate about it, you talk about, you know, what works best for everybody. Like th these are like similar concepts it sounds like that you apply in other, you know, couple problem situations. Absolutely. The why we don't do that a lot of times is page it's sex. Sex is supposed to be this different thing that's taboo that we don't talk about that we're not supposed to bring up that we're supposed to be these magical creatures to enjoy once we get to this point and we, we've made it so emotional and big and scary and we put so much weight into it. No wonder we're not having good, enjoyable, quality sex because we've made it almost impossible with our expectations and our thoughts and our shame. Mm-hmm. Man. So I know like for me, I had even struggled in the past to, you know, I thought I was having really good sex before, but then once I started voicing, like literally saying like, hey, do this, do that, do this. Like one, I found that my partner really enjoyed that. Yes. <laughs> they liked hearing directions from me. And mm -hmm. I think that like eases probably a lot of anxiety for the partner who's yes. like doing, you know, whatever giving activity it is. And then the person who is like saying, do this, do that, gets all that freaking pleasure because you're literally voicing exactly what you want. Yes. Oh, so cool. Well, um, as we wrap up here for our talk today, is there any like last piece of um, words of wisdom around sex that you would like to leave listeners, you know, as they're probably approaching this idea of you know, reintegrating sex into their lives again or wanting to have, you know, better, more connected sex. What would you like to say to them? 
no one's sexual self is supposed to look like the person next to them. Meaning there's not a, you have to look a certain way. You have to be a certain way. Sex has to be a certain way. Your relationship has to be a certain way. We're bombarded by the media, social media, our neighborhoods, people were around about this expectation of what we're supposed to be doing. And it just does not fit for everybody. And it's not supposed to. Yours is an individualized part of who you are that's incredible and amazing and does not deserve to be judged by your harsh thoughts about it or anyone else's. So it's really taking an embrace and it's saying, I am a sexual being, regardless of who I am. Even if you're not having sex, you don't have to have sex to be a sexual being. You truly are a sexual being. And that is okay. We've got to stop comparing ourselves and our relationships to others because that leaves us feeling depleted and really missing the intentionality of being in the moment with ourselves. And we only get this journey once. So just as we were looking to embrace our confidence, how we feel about ourselves, we have to bring in and allow our sexual self to have space too. Mm, what a very comforting message. Like that sounds like it's really fueled by compassion. So lovely. Um, thank you so much for this conversation today. It has been so eye-opening for me, even um, as someone who works frequently on the sex topic. And I know this will be so valuable to so many listeners. So I'm so happy that you were able to dive into this with me today. Um, if people really enjoyed what you had to say or they want to learn more about you or even work with you, like what's the, the best way for people to get in touch? They can connect with me on Instagram at Christy underscore Overstreet or go to my website, uh, DrChristyOverstreet.com and just reach out. Let me know what's happening with you and I'll let you know if I can support you or give you a resource to help out. And thank you for having me, Paige. I enjoy the conversation. Thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. All right, listeners, I'll have all of um, the links that she just talked about in the show notes so you can be able to connect with her on Instagram, website, hop on our email list and get all her good freebie stuff and um, you can connect that way. Thank you so much. And until next time, uh, take care of yourself. <laughs>